Hello, I'm Elena DelVal, and this is the HispanicNPR.com podcast. My guest today is Javier Folgar, who is founder of Toa Waters. We will discuss how a small startup company is disrupting stereotypes while giving back. Javier works in conservation during the day and runs a small startup company after hours. Prior to his current job, he was Director of Marketing and Communications for the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. He was also an active member of the Par- Partnership for the National Trail System. He launched Toa Waters, a premium, bold, scented bubble bath product company, in the fall of 2020. The company supports the Florida Trail Association, Maryland Food Bank, and American Cancer Society. Javier, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on today's show. When we say small startup company, what are we talking about? Paint a picture for us, if you would. So when I when when you mention small startup company, it's um, literally in the basement of my home. Um, it is um, me alone, actually running the company with the the support of my friends and family. Of when things really get crazy and busy. Um, it's, it's driven by a love and passion and a desire to, to make good in the world and to, to deliver a product that's solid. Um, it's, it's literally the start. (laughs) It's the start of a dream, to be honest. Um, it's as small as you could think of. Who is your primary and if you want secondary target audience? Sure. We're, we're actually tailored our products, I would say, to, to folks over 30, um, both men and female, uh, or um, male and female. And that's something that our company has been very intentional on, the whole concept of making sure that we deliver a product that's not just tailored towards one gender, but that's available to everybody and that everybody enjoys. And um that's been a huge inspiration behind our product is making sure that we provide something that everyone would enjoy and that's not restricted to one gender. And you kind of alluded that in your, your intro. When we say bold scented, what are we referring to? Because a lot of people, when they think of bubble baths, they think of the – Brands that have been around forever, uh, the uh, very, what shall we call them, girly scents. I don't know if that's an accurate description. Why don't I let you tell us what do you mean by bold scented? Sure. Um, Yeah, no, it's it's kind of interesting. I think this is why I I went ahead and started the company to begin with. I, for one, like to take bubble baths. And when I was looking at what was out currently in the market, it was all these flowerly scents or sliced cucumbers. And honestly, it smells great, but I want to try something different. <laughs> you know, um, I want to try what I would say, something a little bit more bold or something a little bit um, more non-traditional. So when I started this company, I really wanted to focus on what we call these bold um, scents. So I really hone into I would say think like earthy, natural or exotics for, um, scents. So I tone into fragrances such as like cedarwood, agave, sage, smoked tobacco, mahogany, just these scents that you normally don't find um, in the bubble bath product industry so that 
it kind of would open up the doors to to more possibilities as far as what people would enjoy when they they take a bath. Where do the scents come from? It it sounds like an obvious if it's a tobacco scent, does it come from tobacco? Does it come from cedar wood? Are these natural scents? Are they synthetic? Are they a hybrid? Tell us a little bit about that. So it does vary. All the scents are are made in the United States. Um, So we make sure that we source all of our products within the country. Um, And it is a a combination. Some of them are natural. Some of them are synthetic or a bit of a blend. Um, But it, it offers a very... I would say a very rich palette to to start to play with some very non-traditional scents when it comes to actually creating these various bubble baths. Um, we have one that that's called Sweet Temptation, which is such a cool balance of vanilla, cocoa, um, and smoked tobacco, and it's kind of these very two strong different scents that when merged together makes such a beautiful fragrance and it's made possible through you know sourcing from these various companies all over the U.S. How did the idea come about? I know you said that you yourself like to take bubble baths. Are, do you have a degree in chemistry? Have you made products like these before? So that's actually a very interesting story <laughs> to start off with. Um, I mentioned at the beginning that, like myself, I enjoy taking bubble baths. Um, and I'm also, I would consider myself a, an athlete. I, I swim competitively, um, honestly, since I could remember. I've recently, you know, for the past few years, started doing triathlons and doing those those types of competitions or those sports has really taken a tonal on my body. And there has been studies proven. I know there was a recent one from Pentucket um, Medical in Massachusetts. It's a study released in 2018 where they talked about the benefits of taking a bath. And one of the things that they talked about was how heat really helps to get your blood moving, which is not only great for circulation, but also helps with sore and tight muscles to relax. So I was really taking advantage of that um, after doing a competition or doing training just to help with that recovery process. But like I said before, there was nothing in the market that really suited what I was hoping for, like all the scents, again, there were flowerly sliced cucumbers. That's not what I wanted. I wanted something different. Well, then, um, then the pandemic hit <laughs> and just like the rest of the world, everything kind of shut down and everything really slowed down. And I had this idea festering in my mind of, I've always wanted to start my own company. I always wanted to create something out of nothing, but you know, those excuses come up. I don't have the time or I don't have the right idea or, or whatnot. Well, now when COVID hit, we were literally forced inside of our homes and we had to take a pause in our life. And I'm trying, I found myself really stuck with my thoughts and figuring out how I'm going to, you know, fill all this extra time that I now have. And that's when I start, or I decided to, you know, give this a shot. Let me, let me try starting my own company. So I started off with um, doing a simple Google search and I, 
I feel like I saw like a YouTube video on how to make your own bubble bath. So I tried it out. It was terrible. Like <laughs> it was not good. Um, it was, it was honestly just like you got, you know, just your normal soap and, you know, you had a few fizz in the, the tub. It was nothing that I was hoping for. So I decided to get a little bit more sophisticated. I bought some more books, um, that I found online. I started doing research and, I really started diving into how to make a bubble bath that I would be really happy about. And what I mean about happy about is I'm a big fan of bubbles. You know, who isn't? That's why it's called a bubble bath. Like I love, I love for it to be filled with foam. I love for it to be natural and to use great ingredients, things that would like hydrate the skin. So I did research on those different elements that I can pull and I started playing with different formulas and I got to a point where it actually came out really good. <laughs> um, I was really happy with the product. Um, and then on top of it, I love the sense that I was able to create. And little by little, I started to realize that even though, you know, when you think about it, starting a company, um, making your own product, it, it really sounds daunting. But when you take it, you know, piece by piece or baby step by baby step, which is what I did, I slowly realized that, I have a really good product here and I can make this at a larger scale. I have the space in my basement. Like I could reshuffle how I have things set up. I could, you know, arrange a little workstation here and I can offer this to the public. And that's how the, the company started. Um, you know, last year when we started during the pandemic, it really was a, a blessing in disguise. Like I hope we never go through that instance again, but I was very grateful for to have that opportunity to to really pause and reflect and, you know, kind of pursue my dreams, which a lot of it's kind of cool reflecting on last year. A lot of people have started their own business. So um, it's it's great to make something out of a, you know, positive out about it situation. Some of the bath products that I have seen include the, the old style bubble baths as well as bath salts and even oil blends. Where does your product line fall? Is it, is it, you know, do you sit in the bathtub and are covered with bubbles or is it more of a salt blend? Is it both? Tell us a little bit about that. So I I love bubbles. I don't know what it is. Um, it's just something very relaxing, very clean about it. And that's very much what I wanted to have um, in the product that I created. So it's very much a, a foam bath that when you're running the water, um, you're going to have these like white bubbles and foam that's going to sit on the top and last um, for it's always last like my entire session. Um, and there are. I would say ingredients within um, the actual product that itself that's really makes it kind of a powerhouse when it comes to cleaning and naturally moisturizing your skin. So it has vitamins like B, C, and A. Um, our new line of bubble baths, which I'm so excited about, um, uses, um, it's all vegan, so it uses coconut milk um, as a, a foaming agent. Um, and it's also great to hydrate the skin. It has aloe, um, camilo flower, all things to help um, strengthen your skin and 
really help to re- remove dead skin cells and reduce skin um, irritation, rashes, things like that. It has um, witch hazel, which again, it's another moisturizing agent and it is paraben free. So there's no nasty chemicals in the making of the product to help preserve it. So it's a lot of great stuff. Um, we're also, um, this is kind of hush hush, by the way. Um, we're also looking into the, the future of additional products that we want to have um, and provide. And bath salts are definitely one of them. Um, again, pointing at that study that I mentioned earlier from Pentucket Medical, they talked about the benefits of Epsom salts in your warm baths um, as a, like a great ingredient to help reduce inflammation in your joints. So that's something that we're also looking at at different um, foaming bath salts that have those beneficial qualities like Epsom salt to help enrich that whole bath experience. And again, thinking about those folks that are that work out or that are athletes or have arthritis or different muscular diseases, it's just things that will help like release that tension and help reduce that inflammation. What are we referring to when we talk about disrupting stereotypes? And we said we were going to talk about a small startup company, disrupting stereotypes. Is this because of the bold sense? What are we referring to? So when I talk about disrupting stereotypes, it's it's really interesting. I'm talking specifically about gender stereotypes in the bathroom. Um, I would say in the past, men have been very hesitant to take bubble baths, including myself, or at least I would say to tell people that I even take baths to me in the past was an issue because it might, let's say, damage my image or damage the fact that I'm not masculine enough. And the same thing with women. I feel like they're expected that when they leave the bathtub that they're supposed to smell like a bouquet of flowers. And when you really think about it, it's just silly end of the day, we're talking about soap, we're talking about relaxation, we're talking about mental health, we're just talking about cleaning yourself. You know, what you do in the privacy in your own bathroom is, you know, for you and you alone. And looking at today's world, it's really apparent that when we talk about gender and gender norms, it's not so pink and blue anymore. You know, if you just look around at what's happening at today's culture, there's been so much done to shatter traditional gender roles. And I want our company to play a role in that, even if it's just in the bathtub, um, even just like reflecting on on current events that's happened within the last um, last few months or within the last years. It's it's actually really incredible. Um, glass ceilings have been smashed. You know, look at our our vice president of the United States of America. We have uh, Camila Harris, who's the first woman ever to serve in that role, which is just phenomenal to see, to see that leadership in this country. Um, and the same thing goes into the entertainment industry. I've always really admired Harry Styles. He's not only a great performer, but when he's on stage, he wears whatever he wants. <laughs> you know, he's not really shy or timid when it comes to that. He has no problem, you know, wearing a dress or anything that really expresses who he is and what he's comfortable is. And I honestly think that's that's a, a wonderful thing to see. Our understanding of gender is clearly expanding. And 
we're breaking those stereotypical roles that we expect a man to behave or the way that a woman should behave. And that's the whole concept um, behind our products between Toa Waters. I never want to say that this product is just for men or this product is just for women. It's honestly for we're offering a, a spectrum of both scents, different types of scents out in the market that honestly anybody can enjoy. And from just the feedback that I've I've heard from our customers, whether they're shooting me an email or I'm seeing them at different shows, you know, that we're participating in, they enjoy it. And they they're not there's not one scent that's geared towards men. There's not one scent geared towards women. They're just smelling things that they enjoy. And that's really what we want to provide and that's what the whole ins or one of the major inspirations behind the company was was to break those gender stereotypes in the bathtub why you know it's it kind of goes back to me personally as an individual i i am a gay man and you know i i came out later in my life and thinking about my childhood and even when I was in college and, you know, my career, I always fit the mold of the way that a man was expected to behave. I fit the mold of the way that the activities a man should participate, the, you know, the people that I should love or try to have a relationship with. And you kind of get tired of it. You want to be authentic with yourself. Um, and I think that's what's so beautiful about this product, even though it's like a small step in breaking gender stereotypes is you don't have to fit a mold. Um, you don't have to worry about being masculine or, or feminine or whatnot. You could just do things that you really enjoy. And I think when you ask me why, that's why it's so important. <laughs> it's being yourself, it's being true to yourself and not and not worrying about what society has as far as expectations for you. Tell us a little bit more about your customers. How have they found you? What are their reactions? Are, is it more of one particular group or one particular area? Say of the country or anything you can share. You know, it's it's really it's really interesting getting the feedback from the customers. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad that you asked that question. There's, cause you have the online community, which it's a, a mix of both male and female. Um, it's people that are, um, again, buying the product either for themselves or for a loved one. It's people of all different backgrounds, um, literally, from different parts of the world, which is really cool. Um, but then I noticed that when I go out to events, the the people that will come up, let's say I have a pop-up tent and I'm giving out samples or having people, you know, smell the different baths, um, the majority of them are women. And I've noticed that men are a bit hesitant to come up. And I do wonder if it's still because of those gender stereotypes of people coming, you know, of what's expected into the in the bathroom and whether or not, um, you know, they're worried about what their friends are going to think because it's a very it's a light and day difference online versus in person events. Um, so I would say like online, it's probably 
um, 60% women that will come to and purchase from the website and 40% men. But then when it comes to in-person events, it's a dramatic shift of 90% of women are the ones that are actually purchasing um, and just 10% are, are men. So I've always thought, thought that was interesting. And I, I think that just illustrates the importance of what we're doing and what we're trying to illustrate and show even in this small way, but, um, you know, those gender stereotypes are definitely out there and the more that we can normalize this. And again, when you think about it, it's just so it's taking a bath. It's really silly when you think about it, but the more we can normalize this, I think the, the more, um, more people are just going to enjoy it and, and try, try things out that, that they like and are, they don't worry about what others are going to be thinking of. Tell us a little bit about your outreach efforts. I know you said that you have been at pop-ups and in person and online. How have you identified your audience? How have you, how have they found you? Have you relied on press releases or advertising? Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. As far as um reaching out to to kind of the our, our customer and customer base i and i should make note of this my background is in marketing and communication so this is this is another love and passion of mine so i i love being creative of trying to target audiences and really get a message out there that would really resonate with them so when it came to to us really starting out our business, I would say, and it's even true to this day, because we have such limited resources, um, the connection with the media and working on that whole public relations side. So I'm talking about sending press releases out and pitching story ideas to reporters and really cultivating those relationships. That has been critical, critical in reaching this larger audience and constituents, especially, like I said, when budgets have been so small. And I've also been extremely fortunate and grateful for um, the community that we're based. So we're based in Frederick, Maryland. And Frederick is this um, thriving city of really arts and small businesses and culture and music. And the community here is so supportive. I am just, honestly, I've been blown away with the relationships that I have, and it's such a, a sense of really helping each other out and really lifting those small businesses. And in particular, we had, actually, I have to say, like two or three um, really amazing um, news um, relations here that helped elevate the business. We had our local paper um, cover a story for us. Like they brought photographers over and, you know, they came to our, the home operations, which again, is just my basement. Like they took photos, they wrote an amazing story. And it was right during the holiday season last year, which helped tremendously um, as far as getting the word out to the local community. We also reached out to the local radio station, Q103, and they were, again, phenomenal. Like, they went above and beyond on, in general, helping get the word out about small business, especially during a pandemic. They helped, you know, broadcast us on the air for free. 
Um, later in the year, we actually invited the, the two radio hosts over and they made bubble bats. And again, this was all in an effort to, we were doing a joint campaign with the American Cancer Society and they made some bubble bats, but they helped promote it there. So they were wonderful. And there was also a publication that did, um, um, a magazine article on all things Frederick. So there has just been, this community alone has been so supportive for small businesses and helped us out, especially as we started out. That was just tremendous. So definitely um, public relations and working with the media helped tremendously. And then the other piece, there are definitely some traditional marketing um, and outreach efforts that has helped cultivate a relationship with our supporters um, and customers. One of them is just engagement on social media, just getting updates posted. People love, you know, getting that inside scoop of what we're doing, whether it's a video recording of a new equipment that we're doing or a live stream of us bottling the bubble bats or dipping the bottles into the wax seal or whatever the process may be. Like people love seeing that insight. Um, I would also say the having email communications with folks have been really helpful. So again, continuing that dialogue. And when we send out emails, I'm not a big fan of saying, here's our new newest products like buy me, you know, <laughs> I rather <laughs> send things out that really add value um, to folks. So um, we, we uh, send out at least once a month, different blog articles of interest that people can really check out and dive into. Like for instance, this, this past month in October, we released a, a blog post that was the top 11 songs to add to your bubble bath playlist. So just things that will help, enrich that whole bubble back experience that people can really enjoy. Um, and then there was another point I wanted to raise. Um, oh, and then the last thing that I, I would want to say has really helped is just word of mouth and testimonies. I cannot emphasize how important reviews are um, from your customers to help spread the word about your product to other potential buyers. So really honing in and asking folks for feedback has been really helpful. Um, we've started to reach out to influencers. So folks throughout the social media community that's provided testimonies or really cool videos talking about your product has, has really helped just get the word and really gain the trust. You know, when a, when a company says uh, a product is wonderful, I think people are a little hesitant to believe that. Um, but when you, you start hearing it from the general public and from your friends and your neighbors, you start to, to really pique your interest. And I think there's more of that building that trust. And when you have a solid product, um, that you know is good, that people are going to love and people are then actually saying it, it's, that's going to help reach your customer base and really engage those new people into your product. Tell us a little bit more about the social media, Javier. Are you spending most of your efforts on any particular channel, say YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or Twitter? So we are or present on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest. Those are the main ones that we're, we're um, 
were involved in. And I've noticed that what gets the best reaction and traction has been Facebook and Instagram. And there are times where I post what I say filler content because again, it's most of the time it's me. I definitely have the support of my family and friends that help out with different things when things get crazy. But most of the time it's just me. So when it comes to social media, sometimes I'm just putting what I call filler content. Maybe it's, um, you know, the, the best song of the, the week, or maybe it's a picture of like a cute animal in a bathtub, or maybe I'm providing a tip on things that you can really use to help enhance the bath. And I view that kind of filler content as just a reminder for our fans that are on our page. Hey, we're still here. <laughs> you know, don't forget about us. We're still here. But then um, when I have a little bit more time and I'm able to provide Again, more of that personal touch or that personal insight, that's what does really well. Um, one example would be, um, I think this was back in November or maybe it was September. Anyway, um, earlier this fall, my, my mother made a scrapbook for me and it was this beautiful scrapbook that I would say documented the start of the company. Um, and it had all these, like my first news clipping, it had like photos of when the radio station came over to make bubble baths. It had like pictures of literally my mom, my dad, and my brother all like pitching in to make bubble baths for like my first big order. Like it had all these cool memories. And because we were approaching our one year anniversary for the company, um, which again was this fall, my idea was I'm going to grab this scrapbook that my mom worked on and I was going to share pages and insights and kind of write like this cool post and blog um, story about my mom, the scrapbook and all the photos in it. So I grabbed the scrapbook from home. I remember, and my parents, I live in Maryland. My parents live in New Jersey. So when I was leaving my parents' house, I stuck the scrapbook on top of the car and um, I was packing you know, the, my trunk with all the luggage and I drove away with a scrapbook on top. <laughs> so the scrapbook ended up falling off the car on literally the worst road. It was a major road right by my uh, parents and it ended up getting squashed. It got ran over and pages were everywhere. Anyway, um, my drive home from New Jersey to Maryland is about four hours. So I stopped to get gas and while I was pumping gas, I quickly looked at my work email and I saw that um, I got a, a random message through my contact us form on the Toe Waters website. So I checked it out and it was this lady that says, you know, I, I found this scrapbook just and photos scrattled all across Valley Road. Again, that's that major road my parents live next to. She said, I don't know if it's yours, but I assume it is based on the photos. And she's like, in case it is, here's my address. She's like, I tried my best to gather as much of the pages as I can. But if you want it back, like, here's my I'm, my address and my phone number. So I called her back right away. And I said, yes, you know, that's that's my book. I can't believe you found it. And I'm also like, I can't believe I left it on top of the car. So. She ended up, long story short, she ended up going back to my parents' house with the book. She only lived a few houses away and like gave it back to my parents. And I was just so 
extremely grateful for that. Um, honestly, I, I would never expect someone to go above and beyond to return these priceless memories um, back to its original owner. And she really, really did go above and beyond to like research how to contact me to actually gather the pages from the book and to return them. Like it was phenomenal. So I ended up telling that story um, on social media. Um, I shared snippets through Facebook and Instagram, and I wrote this blog post, and people loved it. It was, again, it was a, a real authentic story that people can, or people really gravitated to. And it was, honestly, it was just a feel-good story. Um, and it did so well that it ended up getting picked up by um, other news outlets. So I don't know if you're familiar with the Good News Network, but that website focuses all on positive things that are happening all across the world. And they they ran this really cool story about uh, uh, the family treasure, which was the scrapbook that was scattered in the street. And it was all about the Good Samaritan who cared enough to act and returned it. So it really, I think that demonstrates um, how powerful social media can be, um, how powerful being authentic can be to your users and and being willing to be a little bit vulnerable um, and to showcase a little bit about your, your personal life and your experiences. And, and sometimes it could be something as silly as as what happens of, of driving off with a scrapbook on, on top of your car. But people really do resonate with that, and, and people really do enjoy things like that. From a marketing perspective, how much of your budget, and I don't mean just dollars, but how much of your time and efforts do you allocate to marketing efforts? Because a lot of small businesses don't allocate any resources to marketing, and it sounds like you are getting out the gate with an advantage in that regard. Yeah, I I absolutely, you know, I've been really blessed to be working in the marketing and communication field for well over a decade now, and I you need to you need to be able to get the word out about your product. Um, it, it's it's critical for a startup. It's it's critical to reach a new base and the investment that you need to make um, is real. <laughs> you know, you have to dedicate time about it. You could have the best product, but if nobody knows about it, you're not going to make a lot of sales. So starting off, I really focused a lot on developing a strong brand, um, something that people could resonate with. I really invested on creating the best possible website, you know, because that's your storefront for a digital uh, a company that sells online, you know, making the best possible website with the limited resources that I had. And I've also spent a considerable amount of time really continuing that that outreach and that communication efforts. But the I would say the good thing about when it comes to marketing and communications you can you could always invest funds and your own resources to to help let's say buy an ad or you know uh, run a google ad campaign um, or promote posts through social media you know you could always invest money into it but as a startup you really you're really limited with funds um, and you need to be very wise with how you spend those funds so there are tactics, like I mentioned, reaching out to the media or engaging your customers through social media or, um, 
you know, just developing relationships within the community that can help get the word out that doesn't break the bank. Um, so for, for me as a startup, um, I have spent a considerable amount of time within marketing and communications. Um, honestly, I don't think a day goes by that I don't invest a portion of my time into some sort of outreach as it may be as simple as developing a post on social media or writing a quick email to our customer base um, or just reaching out. Um, I use a lot uh, a service called um, Harrow.com, which is, stands for Help a Reporter Out. Um, so a lot of times I check out for stories that reporters are looking for. And if something matches um, something within my realm, whether they're looking to feature a product in their gift guide or you know, they're looking at creative ways to help a, uh, an athlete kind of relax and take it easy. Or maybe they're looking for a story of a, an entrepreneur that started during the pandemic. Like the stories really range at pitch. But if I see something that matches, I'll reach out to them um, because that's free exposure. If that's something that they're interested in. So marketing and communications have been critical um, for the startup, for this company. And that that's something that I would recommend anyone starting their own business, really investing and diving into. And don't be shy to try new things. Would you say that you allocate half of your time to production and half of your time to marketing? No, I would I would say I allocate about 70 I would say 70% to marketing communications and outreach. And the rest of my time would be um towards um production of the product. And I've developed a a system now that we've been open a year that's that has really worked well for me in the sense of when I know I'm running low on product supply, I I call my family um, and they they take a trip um, down from New Jersey over to Maryland and we spend the entire weekend literally working from morning to night. And that is not an exaggeration. And we really pump out those products. And the fact that I do have the support of my family of when I really need just to get those products on has enabled me to really shift my time and energy to devote to marketing and outreach and communication, which I know is so critical, especially during the the start of any company. Given the amount of effort that it's taking to get now, it's a one-year-old company, at so much support that you have from your family, how is it that you decided from the beginning, if I understand correctly, that you wanted to, to give back? So my my whole, I would say the majority of my career has been based in the the conservation nonprofit world. And it's so important, the whole concept of giving back. Um, and I, I lived and breathe it. I still live and breathe it. I do have a full-time job during the day as a conservationist. Um, so I know the value and the need of giving back to really to the world. There's so many amazing organizations out there that need our support, um, that it's critical for that to be a component. And the beauty of 
starting your own company is that you're creating a vision, something that doesn't exist and making it into a reality. And for me, my vision was not just to make a bubble bath that was amazing that everyone can enjoy, no matter like who they are. But I also thought about how the company operated or how I want the company to operate and what type of culture and tone I really want to set for the organization. And for me, it's so important that we're giving back, that we're um, helping the environment or helping those causes that are important um, important to us. And there's so many organizations that are doing good that, honestly, I couldn't imagine starting a company that's not giving back. And, you know, working in the nonprofit world, I've realized that you can have the best of both worlds, that you can start your own company and business. And at the same time, you can do it responsibly. Um, and that's why throughout this entire process, and I'm, I'm telling you, it, it hasn't been an easy journey. Funds have always been tight. Um, you know, you're really counting dollar for dollar, but I want to make sure that as the company grows and becomes successful, that we're continuing to give back to um, the community. And that's why we've supported organizations like the American Cancer Society or um, the Florida Trail Association. Like there's so many wonderful organizations out there that there is a way that you can do a small part to really give back um, to the organizations that need it and also the causes that you care about. How do you go about doing that? Is it a formal support where you reach out to those organizations and vet them or and they agree to accept your support? Is it a portion of your uh, net profits that you give back? Tell us a little bit about that, please. Sure. So... The organizations that we supported in the past are all organizations that I'm familiar with. Um, so, for instance, with the Florida Tra Trail Association, I'm really familiar with them. Um, I used to, as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, um, I used to work for the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, and I was an active member of the partnership for the National Trail System. Um, and working within those two conservation organizations at some level or not, whether a volunteer or a staff role, um, I did network with other um, national trails all across the United States, including the Florida Trail Association. Um, and the Florida Trail, I've hiked on. I absolutely love it. I think it's stunning. Um, I actually, I'm also personally friends with um, several of the folks that work there, including the executive director. Um, and given the opportunity to, to give back that I saw, um, I reached out to, oh, they, well, yeah, actually we connected um, and we started talking about, well, how can we work together to, to help each other out? So what we're doing for the Florida Trail Association is that um, a portion of every sale that we make, we're donating 10% back um, to that um, trail organization to help um, protect and maintain the trail in Florida. Um, so it's, yeah, it's been a, a great relationship and it's, I think that's a beautiful way to help support each other and a way to 
not only get the word out about our product to a whole new constituent base, but also a powerful way to, to connect people with nature and history and culture through the good work that the Florida Trail um, Association provides. What does the name Toa Waters refer to? Is it was it that I read correctly that it was a river in Cuba? Yes. No. I'm so uh, I'm so glad you you mentioned that. Um, so my 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 background and my heritage is um, my family is from Cuba, um, at least from my mother's side, and that's something that's always been a huge part of my life. I've been extremely grateful for the the courage that my grandparents and um my grandparents had many years ago to migrate from Cuba to the United States. I'm so grateful um for the opportunity that has granted. And I love the idea of kind of putting a nod or or providing honor to my heritage. So um as you mentioned the uh, Toa Waters is named after the Toa River, which is considered the mightiest river in Cuba. And like I said, not only does it give like this nod to my heritage, but I also love the concept of a river in general, especially the mightiest river. And when you think about a river in itself, water is very calm and soothing, but at the same time, it could be rough and and strong and, and really vibrant and powerful. And being able to merge those two elements together of a balance between soft and, and strength, whatever it may be, I felt like that defined purposely, perfectly what I, my vision was for that company or for the company, again, to like burst those gender stereotypes into the bathroom. So there's multiple reasons why I named it that. Again, not to the heritage and also to kind of support that whole concept of breaking those gender norms that you can have a balance of both uh, and still have an amazing product. Do you target Cuban customers or Hispanic, Latino customers in particular? Is there anything that you do in that regard? I have... um, I have reached out to some Hispanic uh, media relations to get um, just exposure to that community. We do have a large customer base out in Florida um, that a lot of them are Spanish speaking. Um, So there has been some outreach effort there. The other piece that we've recently launched was um, last month we just announced our new product line. And one of the products that we do have is called Havana, which is this, honestly, I think it's like my new favorite bubble bath from the line that we have, but it's this incredible bubble bath, again, celebrating and honoring where my, um, my, where my parents or my mother was raised. And it has elements and scents um, very much from the Cuban culture, whether it was um, there's smoky um, tobacco leaf in it, vanilla bean, rum, um, sweet honey, sandalwood, just a lot of rich tropical scents um, in there. So that's something that I feel like whether the the Cuban customers are really going to enjoy or um just the Hispanic market in general, that's offering a very tropical, fun um, scent that 
exposes, I would think, the general public or those audiences to that that Cuban culture. Um, just a, a quick fun fact. Um, when I was making Havana, um, it, it was it actually the smells that I started putting together of the different fragrances reminded me strongly of um, growing up in my or um, yeah growing up in my grandparents house and visiting my grandparents house and I don't know what it is but there was just certain smells that I started to pull from it that just created such vivid memories of living as a Cuban kid and um, being at my grandparents house so it's it's been I feel like it's very authentic to that whole Cuban experience, at least with my or within my childhood, that I feel like that Hispanic community is really going to enjoy. Do you do anything differently in your interactions with that market segment? Uh, you mentioned a moment ago that many of your customers in Florida were Spanish-speaking. Do you mean Spanish-dominant, as in that's their dominant language, or do you mean of Hispanic culture? Tell us a little bit more about that. I would say of Hispanic culture, um, not uh, Spanish speaking as being dominant. We do have, there are some customers that will reach out to us, um, that only do speak Spanish. And I'm, I'm lucky enough and fortunate enough that I am bilingual. I, when I speak Spanish, you could tell it's not the strongest, but I could definitely communicate it and I understand it perfectly. So I'm able to have that open dialogue, but a lot of the folks that are Hispanic background, like I was mentioning in, in, in Florida, that's more their background and their culture and they are bilingual and are able to communicate. But that's something, you know, looking into the future, um, for the business. Again, we've only been operating for a year. Um, that's definitely an opportunity to, to really expand and more tailored for that, that audience of providing information in their language and, um, really purposely, I would say, outreaching and, and, and introducing to them the, the product that we have. We did provide, for instance, um, uh, a stance on, or I would say different, uh, statements of current events that are happening within the, the Hispanic community. So I believe it was over this summer with all the, the riots and the, I would say that the uprising that was happening out in Cuba, that is something that we did provide a response in the protest that was happening on that island. And in that instance, we felt it was, or I felt it was really important not only to provide a response in, in English, but also to provide it in Spanish. So I'm really glad you raised that. I, that definitely is an opportunity as we look forward to ex, um, expand that voice and really tailor to that audience specifically. What about the ingredients or the source of the ingredients? You mentioned early on in our conversation that the the ingredients that you use in your products are all from the United States. You've talked about vanilla bean and tobacco, rum. What was that process like? Honestly, that's the most fun part, that (laughs) – when it comes to creating the product, it is a lot of fun. So I want you to envision you're in my basement and you're sitting in this bar, but there's no alcohol. 
the bar, you know, all the alcohol has been removed because now it's a workstation. And on top of the bar, instead of having like glasses of shots, you have um, these little bottles of different fragrances and um, essential oils. And they all have just different elements and smell. Maybe one smells like oranges, one smells of agave, one smells of like smoked tobacco, and and maybe uh, one smells of vanilla beam and cedarwood. And you have all these different fragrances. Um, and what I do is I have a vision of what I want to create. For instance, um, when it came to creating Havana, I I smelled one of the fragrances and it was just um, let's say it was just the guava scent, but for some reason that guava scent reminded me of again growing up in in a Cuban household at my grandparents' house, and you have this vision as far as a great scent, but it's not there yet. It's missing elements, and you start to piece together. Well, what if I add this piece to it? Or I start doing research on, you know, what are those traditional Cuban scents that would help really make a, a powerful and really uh, amazing bubble bath? So you start trying different fragrances, um, coconut, let's say, or, or sandalwood or um, agave, whatever it may be. You start trying to mix these different scents together. And from trial and error, you're able to actually, you know, figure out if this is, smells great together or if it doesn't. And a, a little tip, what we do is, <laughs> pun intended with that one, a little tip, what we do is um, you actually grab a, or we grab a Q-tip and we dip it into the fragrance and we just, let's say I, I have the guava, I'll dip the the Q-tip into the agave, agave um, fragrance, and then I'll just wave it in front of my nose. So now you get the smell in your nose of just the guava. And now let's say I want to try it by mixing in, let's say, the sandalwood. So I grab a separate Q-tip, I put it into, just dip it into the fragrance, and now I hold both Q-tips by my nose and wave it. And now you get a sense of how it would smell mixed together. And I'll do that with like three to five, six different fragrances. And when you're doing this trial and error, you might realize, hey, when I brought in the um, that extra, let's say, sandalwood scent in, it smelled a little weird. Maybe I'll take it out. And then you to take it out, you literally just remove the Q-tip and then you can compare how it smells alone or mixed together. And that's the procedure that we use to create our new line of bubble baths. And I'm pretty sure I saw that online somewhere. I didn't come up with it, but it's been really effective and, and fun in creating new scents. Um, that's definitely uh, the the chance to really flex your creative muscles. How did you find sources for these products? Some of them, for example, like vanilla bean I didn't know that there was vanilla bean growing anywhere in the U.S. Or cacao, as far as I know, there's nowhere in the continental United States that has commercial cacao. How did you find these sources? So there is a a great association that um, we belong to um, called the um, Handcrafted Soaps and Cosmetic Guide. 
and they are uh, a nonprofit organization for soap makers. That's one of the, the organizations we immediately signed up for once we launched our company. And they provide a, a huge network of, of companies that offer these different raw materials nationally as well as internationally. So um, we were able to search within their database of um, companies that are based in the United States um, that offer these different these different variety of scents. And we were able to, I would say that that really was, that enabled us to start our research. We found some amazing companies and organizations, again, that operate within the United States um, that we were able to reach out to and request, again, those different samples of fragrances to try out. Um, and we were able to also expose us to a whole new industry, because, again, this is all new stuff to me, um, on places really to find and source different materials. So we're able to also find new companies just based on their network that they've created. So that has been really, really helpful in um, sourcing um and finding new companies to um, to get your materials from. And I also have to say, with any small business, if you're looking at starting your own company, I would definitely look into finding um, like a professional organization, whether it's a nonprofit specific to networking within that industry. Um, that the handcrafted soap and cosmetic guide has been tremendous in really helping us start our company. Um, they helped us again, as I mentioned before, finding, you know, vendors or manufacturers to help produce the product, whether it's the ingredients in our bubble baths to the actual glass bottles that we use or, or whatnot, the packaging that we have. Um, they also were tremendous in providing very basic startup um, marketing and communications materials. So for folks that are not maybe as comfortable with um, outreach um, in those means, like they provided like a solid starter packet um, to get outreach to the media or different flyers and materials. They talk about trade shows you should attend. And then the part that I love, they also talked about insurance that a company should have, which was, for me, that was completely another foreign thing, but they provided tremendous support as far as like the proper insurance that you have. So that was, they've been phenomenal as far as a, a resource. And that's something that I highly recommend. And of course, you get to network with folks in that industry. Um, you know, they provide a forum for that. How will you know if you have been successful, Javier? It's been a year, you've had a good, a positive response. When will you know or how will you know? In what way are you tracking this process? And what goal setting are you relying on to decide if this is if this is a success? When I think about the company, it has already been a success. I've always been, I've always had this drive to start our own company, um, but I've always been too hesitant or fearful to do it. And I've done it. You know, the company started, we have a product, people are buying it, people are using it, we have a website, and it's been operational. In my eyes, it's already been successful. Um, I think when, you, when you're when you looking at more, uh, you know, realistically, uh, the way the company operates, 
um, you know, ROI is, is always a determining factor of, of whether a company is successful or not. So definitely, you know, making sure that we're in the, the block and we're actually, um, creating or, you know, de- um, having a consistent stream of revenue. I'd love to see the company expand and, and hire new employees and, and see that product line flourish and our customer base expand. But really, like I said before, in my eyes, it's already been a success. No matter what, what happens in the company in the future, you know, my dream has always been to, to, to start something out of nothing. And the fact that this company, it's official, like we're registered, we're a, an official business. It, it's the real deal. People are enjoying our products. Uh, in my eyes, it's already been a success. For people who want to know more, what is your website address? Sure. For, for people that want to check us out, they can visit us at toawaters.com. That's T-O-A Waters. Dot com um, and they can view our product line they they can check out our story they can take our bubble bath quiz there's a lot of fun things that you can explore and check out on our website Javier thank you for joining us from Frederick Maryland awesome no it's been a pleasure thank you so much for having me and to our audience you have been listening to Javier Folgart who is founder of Toa Waters who discussed how a small startup company is disrupting stereotypes while giving back. To propose a guest for the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicmpr.com. That's editor at hispanicmpr.com.